Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How does this day find you, Adam? I always say my name like someone at the like at the host stand of a restaurant. Uh-huh. It's like, Adam? <laughs> Adam? <laughs> I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> Do they usually write down your last name, too? I... I think that's a good idea when you have a common first name, right? I guess so. Hey, Ben, a little while ago you were telling me you got recognized out on the streets. Was there a story there? Not much of a story. I, my dog actually got recognized, and the guy said he liked the, the podcast as well, but he'd seen lots of pictures of Darwin on the internet. <laughs> was it hurtful that your dog was the first one to be recognized? No. I was actually kind of surprised because it was, it was dumping rain that day, and... My wife and I were down at the farmer's market buying some odds and ends for the week, and Darwin did not look like himself. He looked, you know, very bedraggled because <laughs> of the weather. So uh, so the fact that um, that, that uh, I, I'm blanking on, on the fellow's name right now, but uh, they said they're coming to one of our live shows when we go on tour, so I'll... Uh, I'll I'll have an opportunity to relearn his name. <laughs> Your dog's a fucking star, man. I know he's got ten times as much star power as anybody I know. What what was his origin story? Have you told that on the pod before? Like, how did you find him? How did you become his uh, his forever friend? Uh, my wife uh, used an app called Pet Finder, which oh, it's uh, like Tinder time- for pets, right? Yeah, yeah, you can swipe right and swipe left, which, you know, swiping left on a dog that needs to be adopted is maybe the cruelest thing that any app has ever asked anybody to do. Ooh. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he was, uh, he was totally just a lucky find, and he, I guess, was born in Georgia, and there's a lot of, like, we meet around our neighborhood a lot of dogs that uh, came from southern states and get trucked up to northern states for adoption. They're um, trucked up. Like, the the image in my head is, like, the the chicken truck full of little cages. I hope that's not the case for little doggies. That's sort of what I picture, too. I mean, I think that it's because there's so many more kill shelters in, uh, in the south. But uh, that's... Not based on any expertise, just kind of like a vague memory of just a why. low level interest in execution in some parts of the country. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I don't know, man. I'm sure it's just some bullshit. But uh, yeah, he's great. He's the greatest. So, does Darwin have to swipe right on you as well? Like, like, how do you get from <laughs> "Hey, this dog seems cool" to "Let's go meet the dog" to "Let's bring the dog home"? I don't know. We. My wife may have shielded me from a lot of the <laughs> bureaucratic parts of this. I'm getting um, a really great understanding of that, of you and your wife's relationship and what you keep the other from from knowing about your interests. Yeah. It's a, it's about it's about keeping the other person happy and sane yeah. in our yeah, in our marriage. Um we have some friends that have been trying to adapt a dog here in Brooklyn and they're having a hell of a time where they, you know, 
write a letter of application and they need to provide references and the adoption people send somebody out to their apartment to like inspect the premises and make sure it looks good, which is like a level of scrutiny that I admire, but I am also like completely blown away that there's enough resources to spend on doing it. Given how, like how little of that we had to go through, especially. Right. Right. Well, I'm sure Darwin's happy that they don't do super deep background checks. Yeah, my uh, so my wife was there when when this happened, and uh, so she told her mom, and uh, my mother in law thinks that that the dog is a huge celebrity. Now, <laughs> it's like there's there's nothing that brings her more joy than to think about Darwin as being a major internet celebrity. Well, you're you're almost the sort of owner that has set up social media accounts for your dog. <laughs> not quite not quite adam well one way to pivot from this into the episode today is that sometimes the care and feeding of someone or something in your care can go horribly wrong sometimes mm. it can end in a lifetime of joy for both cared for and carer so <laughs> With that, maybe we turn our attention towards Season 7, Episode 2, Liaisons. This episode starts with Worf getting pretty for a diplomatic greeting. They're going to go down to the shuttle bay and meet some ambassadors. I don't believe this. You're going to put that thing on and parade around like one of them? So Worf is putting on his his dress uniform, kind of like, you know, getting ready for prom vibes a little bit. He's got he's got a fancy sash, fancier than normal. Yeah. It looks a little scarfy, silky. Yeah, to show off his wealth. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do. Riker comes in. Why, what is this attitude? Ed, I really like their little interaction here. They're going to be here any minute. I'm having problems. Worf complains about the Starfleet dress uniform being effeminate. I do not see why it is necessary to wear these ridiculous uniforms. They look like dresses. And Riker kind of scolds him. That is an incredibly outmoded and sexist attitude. But then, like, busts his chops also. Besides, you look good in a dress. (laughs) There's... Two things happening here to me. One is that I like hearing people talk about the inside baseball of their jobs. Like it doesn't matter if it's on a TV show or or anything else. Like I like I like hearing that. But the other thing happening here is it's setting up the rules for the episode and if the main characters aren't taking their job seriously, then the viewer is going to have a hard time doing that as well. And so, like, when you start with kind of a slide whistly, Worf just can't get his uniform on right. Klingons do not procrastinate. You already know that you're in for something a little less than serious ahead. It's a lighter episode, for sure. I did really like Riker's comment about gender normative costuming, W slash R slash T ambassadorial visits. Yeah, I think, um, like, Riker is the kind of guy you can hang with because he's, like, he's like woke, but he's also not going to let it ruin a fun time, you know? He's woke, but he's not going to let it ruin a insult to a friend. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> and I'm I'm the same way. Like we cut a lot of what I say out of this show because a lot of times I'm not going to let it stop me from a big laugh. <laughs> Riker and Worf show up a little late to the arrival of this shuttle pod, and I guess the shuttle has been like hanging out in the cargo bay or whatever shuttle bay for a while. Like Picard is like, when are these guys going to come out of this shuttle? That and uh, that made me think the same thing. It's was it sort of like. When you're flying commercial and you get to the gate and you're just waiting for the door to get open, it seems like the door opens from the inside on the shuttle. I don't know what Mm -hmm. they're waiting for. Yeah, it seems weird. Did this shuttle look familiar to you? Uh, It didn't, but I think you're about to tell me why it should. I don't know this for sure, but I could have sworn that that door was the same door that they had on the shuttle in the final Wesley as a main cast character episode. Oh, Final Mission, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because they had that, like, that guy with the alcoholic guy with the busted shuttle. It would make a lot of sense to use that shuttle also because of what happens later with the shuttle crash. Maybe they should just. (laughs) Yeah, they should have looked at this door and been like, we're not putting our captain on that thing. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Isn't it strange that, like, captain of the flagship of the fleet is, like, hitching all these rides on on other people's shuttles. I mean, American political executives don't fly on <laughs> third world countries commercial airliners, you know? Like no. there's sort of a sort of a safety control aspect of play and, there. And we have some implication that there may be runabouts available on the <laughs> Enterprise. Like that's a full-featured starship. Yeah, they couldn't fit it in the garage, though. It's just a floater now. Wait, so, so, so they were just going to take that back to the entrepreneur, but not actually park it on the entrepreneur? <laughs> That's what I thought. I mean, you never see it again, I don't think. Well, it get blowed up. Yeah. It, it explode when, when they uh, have it cross the, cross the beam. Oh, that's right. They lucked out. They didn't have to find a place for it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like when you like they had you know, a valet in Shuttle Bay One, like scrambling to move bunk beds around, trying to make room. Yeah, are you going to take this or make me wait? It's like when your wife plans a dinner out for you guys in a in a busy part of town on a Saturday night, and you you drive over there, and there's just no parking, but then your car explodes. So you're like, oh, cool, problem solved. <laughs> I I love it when that happens. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> So when the ERNs pop out of their shuttle, it is immediately clear that the crew has overdressed because they're wearing sort of a dark gray Russell Athletic sweatpants and sweatshirt combination. They are full health goth. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. These guys are ready for yoga. They're ready to, you know, hit brunch in a pre or post workout type of situation. None of them are wearing a sash. They give the impression of being, like, a very boring species. Like, they're all dudes with the same haircut and the same sweatsuit combo. There is no room for flair or customization on these uniforms either. That would that would sort of indicate some personality. There's no brooches. Yeah, they also have, like, extremely generic loaf. It's just kind of like, eh, they're kind of aliens, you know? yeah. Let's put some crap on their forehead. Like three white, brown-haired guys. (laughs) 
very inventive. Yeah. Um, so Picard is in his action jacket. He is not in formal wear, which, um, you know, like that, that caught my eye, but this is because Picard is going to be going with the ERNs to their, to their planet to like see what's up with them. It's, it's not just like a diplomatic visit. It's like a cultural exchange program. And those always go really well. Uh, historically mm-hmm. for the crew <laughs> we have a rich history of them being great i wonder if Riker got taken off of cultural exchange duty after the gach incident <laughs> where he ended up murdering a klingon bridge crewman and uh, and turning down a date with uh with a very fetching looking klingon woman that took a lot of restraint on Riker's part <laughs> i think cultural exchange of fluids is what that was The Yarens are getting paired off. Like, there's a shorter one named Loquel, and he he gets paired off with Counselor Troy. And then there's a taller one named Byleth, and he gets paired off with Riker. But he's just been introduced to Worf, and he's like, I don't want Riker. I want this one. And... <laughs> Michael Dorn really has a lot of fun with the, like, discomfort his character experiences in this episode. And this might be my favorite moment, because he kind of, like, looks from Riker to the captain and back to Byleth and and is like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. And, and Picard tries to save his bacon here. He's like... Well, Commander Riker is a skilled diplomat with wide experience in interspecies contact. Byleth is like, no, I've made my decision. I want this Lieutenant Worf. It's sort of like a reverse playground dodgeball draft scene. Like when instead of <laughs> wanting to be picked, Worf is back there like fading into the periphery, trying not to become <laughs> noticed. Mm-hmm. But this guy wants him on his team real bad. Do you think Picard was like contemplating going like, well, like you can, we can give you Worf, but you won't be able to see any parts of the ship because he can't get through any of the doors. <laughs> Look, I know Worf looks like he's the most interesting, but if you want to get to understand our ship and our culture sexually, Riker's really the only guy who can teach you. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, like, spoiler alert, but the ERN's really picked wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they kind of did. How could they know by looking at Riker, though? Yeah. So Picard and uh, and Voval, the shuttle pilot, hit the bricks, and we smash to theme song we come back and they're having a pretty party in in 10 forward they've got like a big spread out lots of different food you know fried chicken stuffed into rice pilaf <laughs> sushi this dude is piling his plate up the uh the er and ambassador loquel and uh what's the best tr- buffet food like when you go through the buffet line what's What's the 100% hit rate for you? Well, I've thought a lot about this, actually, because we wanted... When we were planning our wedding, I had uh, we had just been to a wedding where the dinner served was barbecue because we were in St. Louis. Oh. And it made a big impression on me because what occurred to me as I was eating this, like, totally amazing 
like better than any wedding meal I've ever had meal was barbecue is made to be in hot plates. Like when you go to a barbecue restaurant, it is served in a way that is not terribly dissimilar from a wedding buffet. There's like metal trays full of shredded meat or ribs or whatever. And there's a heat source underneath and the food tastes amazing all the time. Yeah, why does the wedding industrial complex try to cram single serving food? Why do they try to scale that for a giant crowd when group food like barbecue is perfect for groups? Yeah, like you're never going to get a salmon fillet right in a in a hot plate situation yeah. whereas barbecue uh tacos like there's there's foods that work in this context and it's because they've been like designed around this context yeah we did tacos at my wedding for that very reason it was like it was a good compromise because there were going to be lots and lots of people of the jewish persuasion so barbecue is not necessarily the the right move Mm -hmm. for that context but tacos are great because you can have like all of the kinds of meat and also not meat and there's like tons of stuff for everybody it's totally mix and match. Yeah, two of the best weddings that I've been to in terms of food, especially, were taco and barbecue weddings. Like, highest recommendation. Yeah. So, if you're out there, uh, and this has been Star Trek Wedding Cast, <laughs> uh, those are Ben and Adam's Rex. There, some of the food that we see intent forward here is like familiar food done up in an unfamiliar way like the peach cobbler is in a punch bowl sort of format it's in like a it's in like a shepherd's pie yeah container yeah it's big and it's up and then there's a giant chocolate ball at the end too i could kind of fuck with a peach cobbler that deep though yeah i mean i guess i guess what it throws off is probably the the crust is the best part. The topping to filling ratio. Yeah. And Troy is sort of the the buffet line escort for Laquelle. Laquelle, I guess, knows so little about the Federation or its people that this is a way for him to understand our people. Desserts. What is this? He's doing a buffet strategy that I really fuck with, which is just taking a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, you take a little bit of everything, you can kind of graze around and then go back to the buffet for the good shit. You know, like, okay, that that rib was good. <laughs> Those shrimp were good. The sushi sucked. Laquell go does not prescribe on- to the I don't like my foods touching way of thinking. <laughs> like, he is touching his foods big time. yeah. Touch that food, Loquel. You do you. Be, be a nasty little diplomat, you. He also, like, his openness to trying new things and trying a lot of it makes him just a real pleasant person to be around at this point in the story. Troy is just amused by him, and, and he's a little bit childlike in that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this guy becomes becomes maybe the perfect rival for Troy because... <laughs> She introduces him to the concept of dessert. Oh, uh, it's something we eat after the main course. It's usually very sweet. It's usually very bad for you. Um, We eat it purely for pleasure. Which is alien to him. Like, he is only familiar with food as a sustenance thing and not as a thing that one can derive pleasure from. So 
he takes a deep dive on the kind of hedonistic side of having a replicator and really gets down on some chocolate. The ripping and the tearing. The ripping and the tearing. He does a buffet power move, which is just grabbing an entire tray of cupcakes at the end. Like tray (laughs) and all. You're not supposed to take the tray. Like it's understood that you can take as much as you want out of a buffet, but you can't take the utensils. This would only fly if your caterers were like party down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, Adam Scott is not going to notice if you take all the cupcake. Are we having fun yet? And if he did, he wouldn't care. Yeah. Ken Marino would care. He would care a lot. <laughs> yeah, but he's, like, falling apart yeah. off in the corner somewhere. Like, he's trying to pitch his franchise soup place to, to somebody. Fastest growing non-poultry, non-coffee franchise in all of Southern California. Oh, man. RSVP party down. Yeah. You know who would fucking notice is Veronica Mars. She is not putting up with that shit. You can't be a leader and a friend. You're just referring to things that you want to throw drops in for. That's what you're doing. (laughs) No. Mitch, I know you, man. When you say no like that, you really mean yes. Dead to rights, Adam. You got me. Laquell stands in complete contrast to the ambassador that Worf is the handler for. Byleth. And Byleth is being a huge ass he's basically treating Worf like a valet or a servant he's not down with the buffet food he's asking Worf to give him more even though Beverly's there to just sort of soften the growing conflict between them that's not working Byleth is the kind of guy that stops in an airport to get his shoes shined and then is a dick to the shoe shine guy and then tips badly yeah there's no question that Byleth is a bad tipper yeah, he he uh, he wants Worf to go back to to get him more meat or something, and uh, Worf goes back to the buffet and finds the roast and is like cutting off a slab of it. And Data comes up and he's like, "Hey, how's it going with your like kind of newfound ambassadorial duties? What's up with that?" I have heard that in moments of diplomatic tension, it is often helpful to find elements of commonality. Worf is hacking into this roast. And taking what looks to be like a like a two inch slice out of it, Worf is having trouble cutting this meat, and like I think that there's a few scenarios of what's going on here. <laughs> One is it's badly cooked meat, so yeah. it's not soft enough. One is the knife hasn't been sharpened recently, which is like, come on, like this is ten forward. This is the flagship. Like you guys should have good knives. This buffet is not galaxy class. Yeah, and then the third option is that there's like like he's cutting off too big a piece, and there's like too much friction between the knife and the meat. I think the roast instead has become sort of like a boxer's heavy bag. Like I think he's taking it out on the roast. Mm. Like he has got an incredible amount of frustrations, and it's making him feel better to just hack at this piece of meat because he can't hack at his ambassador. Well, he complains about how this is going to data. Master Byleth is demanding, temperamental, and rude. And Data's like, well, you guys should get along great because you're all of those things, (laughs) Worf. (laughs) (laughs) The best parts of Data's personality are when he's making fun of someone and he doesn't know that he's doing that. (laughs) It's usually the reverse, right? Like, it's usually people make fun of another person without them knowing they're being made fun of. Yeah. It's like uh, 
insult inversion. Yeah, I mean, this can be data too. Like he can be that person, but but it's it's the best when he is just like he is dumping kerosene on the fire that is burning in in Worf's heart right now. My, my love is a Have you ever had to be that guy? Like, show the new guy around at work. <laughs> or we have a new student today class. Uh, ben, would you like to make this person feel comfortable? That's not an easy spot to be in either, even when the new person is super chill. Yeah, because it's hard to know, like, I don't know. I feel like you know you, you know what you know, but you don't know what the other person knows. So yeah. it's it's hard to... It's hard to like synthesize what some good like entry level information is. Yeah. Did you notice that there are four writing credits on this episode? I did. Not typically a good sign. No. So our B story, which I guess is sort of an alt A. Like it's hard to tell what is the A and what is the B in terms of importance. Though I guess in terms of whose life is being threatened, we should probably call this the A story. Picard and his ERN caretaker have run into some shuttle problems and they need to ditch. <laughs> they ran right into a planet. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, right? Like they They're just flying along and then BAM planet. What would they have done if the planet hadn't been there? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, like I don't really understand what. I guess you would just be adrift, but they make it. It makes it seem like they're gonna crash, and they pick a planet that's good to crash on, right? They're hardly ever adrift on this show. Yeah, they should become becalmed more often. <laughs> they should become bedraggled. <laughs> Yeah, so they they crash on this planet, and Vovol, the uh, the shuttle pilot, is in pretty rough shape. Picard, you'd expect takes better off. safety features from a Vovol. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why do I get in trouble for those things and you don't? <laughs> because my jokes are above the law. <laughs> I feel, I've been feeling like doing dad jokes because I think they're like funny as a meta joke construction on this show has made like everybody on Twitter think that all of my jokes are dad jokes, whether or not they are, <laughs> or even just like statements. Like I'll say like, oh, oh, I'm making a good grilled cheese today. And people, people will be like, come on, dad. <laughs> You've really cultivated a rep that's not in your control anymore. It sucks. <laughs> I've started to like question my own sanity. Like, no, that wasn't a dad joke. That was just a joke. <laughs> Whereas I've cultivated a reputation of just being a generally bad person. <laughs> so I think you're doing okay. <laughs> Picard takes off his action jacket and uh, makes a little pillow for the highly incapacitated Volvo and... Um, he runs out of the pod looking for help. He's he's like detected a structure and energy readings off away from where they're at and uh, is hoping that he can go get help. Ben, it appears this shuttle has crashed on planet Anybody Canyon. Anybody! Like you get a little bit of it from afar. 
It's yeah. that same purple. It's the same rocks. So there's a lot of mist, which Anybody Canyon was replete with. And he's like walking, and a lightning bolt like jets between a bunch of rocks that he's standing in between, and he gets zapped. They do that thing where he gets zapped, and they do a little bit of a cut to and slowish motion throwback, like actor in a jerk cable style effect. Yeah. The sort of action scene that Marina Sirtis would break a cockix doing. <laughs> There's a weird mistake in this episode where you see some hands come down and like get Picard by the shoulders as he's like lying passed out on the ground. And the camera then pans up and it shows the shadow of somebody not dragging somebody away. <laughs> like they clearly like meant to get just the stooped over shadow of the person and imply that, that this person is dragging Picard. Yeah. But the frame is just a little bit too wide and you see that the person is not dragging anything. Yeah. It's, it's like an interesting composition that doesn't actually work for the story. Like, it's a yeah. continuity error on the action uh, in favor of composition instead. Is this because they know that it's going to be... Like, when you're, shooting, when you're shooting for old television, for standard definition television, you've got, you've got a, an area of the frame that is considered action safe and an area of the frame that's yeah. considered title safe. And title safe means, like, if you... It's like you know, a couple of concentric boxes. And if you're putting some words on the screen, you want them to be within the title safe region because you know that they're not going to get cut off at the edge of somebody's television. Right. And the action safe is like a little bit bigger than that. And I'm wondering if that, if this mistake is in there because they're assuming that we're not going to be able to see all the way to the edge of the frame. Maybe. I mean... I was shocked to read recently that in this era of television and shooting on film, like you, you aren't even seeing as a DP an HD image. Like it's got to be so hard to pull critical focus like that. That's why they're using measurements, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they use measurements and you can also look through the eyepiece, which is an optical, an optical HD. Yeah. It's it's not even HD. It's like you're looking through the actual lens when you look through the, the eyepiece. Right. But, yeah, like a weird mistake. And it seems like for the HD remaster, like, go ahead and, you know, scale that shot a little bit and <laughs> make that scene work. Yeah, <laughs> like, they had the room, and they've they've improved other scenes throughout the show up until now during yeah. the remaster. So that's strange. It's weird that they let that slip. Maybe by the time they got to season seven, they just got tired of the project, Ben. <laughs> Maybe they started, they stopped caring as much. That'd be weird. <laughs> Might be the case. I don't understand that. I am acute as a ball. You will assist us. I am acute as a ball. You are ball. Back on the Entrepreneur, we've got a few scenes with like Worf taking his ambassador around and Troy taking her ambassador around. Worf's is being an asshole. This is when Troy's ambassador encounters a child, which is really exciting for him because his species leaps fully formed from their father's foreheads or something. Ben, 
say you gotta take a meeting with someone, maybe they're a client, maybe they're even just a friend of a friend. Like there's a baseline amount of studying that you might do as an ambassador before meeting a new race, right? It doesn't appear that the ERNs did any studying at all. Like, because <laughs> if you were to look up human beings on Wikipedia, I feel like method of reproduction and offspring are, are fairly high up on the list of things that it's make be. humans unique. <laughs> One of the bullet points that they cover. Yeah, I don't think Laquell really did any studying at all before this mission. Because he is shocked to see a little boy. What is this? It's a child. Child? By the same token, I don't think that the Starfleet people did any studying either. Like, yeah. they seem to have zero ideas about what life for an Yaren is like. Ambassador, I'm curious, how does your species procreate? Which is why they're so unprepared for the, like, what is going on here. It's so it weird, a, like, how do they know the amount of importance to give a situation if they haven't done any of of the pre-work involved in a diplomatic mission. Like, the Yarens could be really cool and have really neat stuff or be really dangerous, but to figure that all out on the fly seems strange. Right. And, like, you know, if you don't know them that well, like, you don't, like Worf does, take one of them down to the fucking engineering deck and show them how the ship works. Yeah, yeah. Like, what if they turn out to be assholes? <laughs> Which one of them clearly is. <laughs> the one that he's taking there. <laughs> he walks up to Jordy and he's like, are you smarter than this idiot? <laughs> was it strange to you that the mean Iaren was mean to the two black characters in the crew? And then the nice Iaren acted super weird to the black kid. I did notice that. Like, their interactions with them felt uh, strangely... Not racially motivated, but, like, clearly the people they're having an interaction with are black. And one character's being super mean to two of them. Yeah, I think that... I think what's weird about it is that there is this kind of, like thing that goes off in your head and it it felt like there was a lot of weird energy sent at the black characters in this episode that wasn't necessary like it could have been dealt with in other like they could have gotten the same point point across without having it always happen to involve it being uncomfortable for the black people on the ship yeah it was a weird energy between them and speaking of the amount of the lack of of research that Loquel put in like he also didn't know that you aren't supposed to just offer kids dessert you know <laughs> like kids you don't know especially yeah would it be proper for me to invite this child to hang out in my van <laughs> <laughs> yeah mom seems pretty cool though like the, the mom is a front zip with no rank pips of any kind, and she's like... What does that mean? Yeah, I was like, who is this lady? If you're totally pipless, that means you are sub-ensign level, right? Yeah, and I think like an ensign is like a, is like a sergeant, right? It's like a non-commissioned officer. Mm -hmm. So, 
I guess maybe she's just an enlisted crew person. She's a soldier. She's just like private first class front zip. She's she's a red shirt, so maybe she's just a body. <laughs> she's just an away team body person. <laughs> if we need to send somebody into a perilous situation, we keep a bunch of you around. Sorry about your mom, Timmy. So you see, <laughs> she didn't have any pips. And in that way, her fate was sealed. <laughs> Should have gotten some pips if she wanted to be a little bit safer. Well, Picard wakes up and he is in a busted up Botany Bay looking ship. Mm-hmm. We've got to get out of here now. Damn. Like, this is very, very Wrath of Khan vibes in this ship. And. Also in this ship is a botany babe. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> that uh that slide into the ding uh got just under the tag. <laughs> so she is a human lady who crashed there seven years ago. Years. Like he gives out, we learned we learned how the star dates work on uh, a recent Bible study, Adam, and she's been there since star date four zero eight one two, which means she's been there since before the series started. Oh my! Like Captain Picard was probably getting court martialed for losing the stargazer in in action when uh, when she got stranded on this planet. Wow, that really puts things in perspective. Yeah. You know, she sort of has a Riker Beta reveal. Like, when you're alone by yourself for a long time and you interact with people for the first time in seven years, there's going to be there's gonna be some difficulty there, I think. You're going to want whoever's seeing you for the first time to see very specific parts of you <laughs> and where you've been living. She has taken better care of her clothes than Riker Beta. Yeah. Taking just generally better care of herself, I think. She and Riker Beta, I bet, would have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't... You keep Riker Beta around up? for maybe these kind of missions, right? She'd yeah. make a, He'd make a better counselor than Troy. So she's, like, really relieved to Riker's, have somebody to... Riker's counselor couch is, like, the black leather porn couch. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you sit right there and I'll turn on these lights? And then we'll talk about your seven years in that container ship trailer. Yeah. She gets the uh, the woods light with the uh, ultraviolet filter on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> might be time to replace this thing. Sorry. <laughs> Here's the thing. You get to know her trivia as being down there for seven years as someone who has not spoken out loud for fear of seeming crazy to herself. She is playing barely hinged, but she doesn't seem crazy right now. No, I mean, like her performance is really cool because yeah. she is is having a tough time kind of getting a sentence out in a rhythm that seems practiced. And that was such a fun acting trick to me, I thought. Yeah. This is, uh, the actress's name is Barbara Williams, and uh, 
She was in a movie as recently as 2013 in the film White House Down. Hmm. I actually enjoyed that movie. Yeah, I like any uh, I like any movie like that. I'm in. <laughs> what if we made a heist movie, but the heist location was the White House? <laughs> I got bad news for you. There's another studio doing that exact premise. Don't care. We're doing it. <laughs> There was room enough for two asteroid movies, and there's room enough for two White House heist movies. Roland Emmerich of uh, Independence Day fame yeah, did White House down. A, yeah. Better than Olympus Has Fallen. Yeah. Boy, Olympus Has Fallen was a fucking splatter fest. Yeah. And the one that got the sequel for some reason. <laughs> Unaccountably, the one that got a (laughs) follow-up. How'd you predict that? There is a great McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where Worf is just trying to, like, vent steam (laughs) from his system. It is the should Worf murder a diplomat McLaughlin group. Hacking the ambassador. He's being hyper-specific about the way in which he's going to disembowel the person he's... (laughs) been asked to escort around the ship. I will take him by the throat and rip out his esophagus. Awesome. Got another throat rip in. In a way that in a lot of workplace contexts could be problematic. Yeah. You can't just say I mean, stuff like that. No. Especially not to your boss. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. There with, he's there with Troy and Riker. Like Troy, Troy and Worf are, I guess, there to give an update on how the diplomatic mission is going. And I like also that in this episode, we get to see Riker being a good boss. He's like, why don't we do a game of poker? Because then, you know, it's not just all on your shoulders, Worf, to keep this guy entertained. And it'll give him, you know, some optics on another, like, thing that we do all the time on this ship. And that'll be that'll be fun. But also, like, it'll maybe satisfy whatever is making him such a prick. I think you probably learned that from Picard, who has sort of become known for not letting crew people off the hook and just sort of making it work as far as their interpersonal relationships go. Yeah, like, don't make this my problem. Yeah. But, I mean, like, it's it's almost cooler than what Picard would do because Picard would just say, like, report back to me when you have, when you have solved your interpersonal issue. Yeah, Picard wouldn't actually like, play the poker game the way Riker is. Exactly, yeah. So I, I respect that. So at this poker game, you get the gang together. You get Laquell and Troy, you get Byleth and Worf, and you get Riker. And you get to see their differences in, in, in even starker contrast because they're together. Laquell's just going to town on some Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> Do you know they had to feed him? something other than chocolate because he was allergic to chocolate. So Whoa. so whatever it is he's eating isn't that. They went down to the uh, health food store and got him some carob treats. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the deal. Adam, I'm I'm shocked that you would do research that deep. That that's not that deep. That's super deep. Come on. <laughs> you know what the guy's eating on screen? All right, that's fairly deep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep it entertaining and fresh, Ben. How do you keep well, the they, show fresh after seven seasons? Maybe you do, know, do a little believe. research from time to time. Yeah. It feels fun and new to me every time, Adam. 
And uh, that's because you find new ways to make it zesty. Byleth in this scene is doing something that is unforgivable, which is stealing Worf's chips at the poker table. In Byleth's defense, Worf's pile is way out over to the side that Byleth is on. Like, it is not directly in front of Worf by any means. You're not wrong about Worf needing to keep care of his chipset and, like, keeping it in front of him, ideally. Yeah. Like, that... Also, stack your shit up, Worf. Like, what's this loose-ass pile about? Yeah, you're supposed to make stacks, and you're supposed to keep it in front of your cup holder. That's how a table gets set for poker. But he, his <laughs> chips are all willy-nilly. But still, that doesn't forgive Byleth sneaking chips from him. And also sneaking chips while while making, like, super intense eye contact with Worf. It's like it's like Sam Jackson taking that guy's sody pop in, in yeah. uh, Pulp Fiction. He is not trying to sneak chips. He is showing his intense disrespect for Worf. It's doubly disrespectful to, like, in the order of poker Worf has raised and Byleth uses Worf's chips to raise back. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's something even more insulting about that. I drink your milkshake. Yeah, and it causes Worf to boil over. Like, they stand up and they like, and, and Byleth is like, come on, man, treat me like I'm anybody. Like, let's <laughs> let's leave rank aside. I know you let's want to. Let's fucking do this. Yeah. And Worf starts whooping his ass, and Byleth is like so kinked out about this. <laughs> He's like, he like licks his two fingers and starts rubbing his nipples. He's like, oh yeah, keep hitting me. Oh. <laughs> he gets tossed back there and he's like looking for glass tables to go through. He's like, <laughs> he's like over here, Worf, over here. Do me into this table. <laughs> you know how I like it. <laughs> And Worf gets gets several melee combats with him. Like, it's not just the one and then he gets held back. Like, he gets a second time before Riker thinks to get up from the table and sort of half Nelson him. <laughs> Which I thought was great. Like, what I wanted was the cutaway back to Riker at the poker table. Like, just sort of, at what point should I involve myself in this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like taking one last sip of his whiskey or something before. <laughs> like... Like that's always that's always a great see, like cut in in any bar fight scene is the guy that the guy that like finishes his drink before involving himself in the action. Yeah, the one Riker element missing up. from this bar fight is a chair broken over someone's back, and I was expecting yeah. that chair to get broken over Worf. It would have been fun. <laughs> Riker get, gets up and like does the bear hug around the drunken buddy to to calm him down and. Byleth, by this point, is just on the floor like, "Mm, oh, yes, yes. (laughs) You're going to make me curm. (laughs) (laughs) After Byleth gets up, there's like gratitude, right? Like, it's not like, fuck you, man. Like, that was messed up. Like, we're supposed to be (laughs) diplomats here. He's like, that was pretty sweet. I'm going to go back yeah. to my quarters and write a report on how awesome that was. <laughs> I'm going to finish this by by jerking myself, but uh, 
I really appreciate you getting me started. This is that thing, though, that we were talking about before with Beverly Crusher about, like, uh, subsequent rule-breaking not being forgiven based on a conclusion. Like, mm-hmm. Worf should be in big trouble here. Like, he struck a diplomat <laughs> over and over and over again. And just because the other guy wanted it, like, I still don't think that's right, right? Yeah, you got to have more self-control than that. <laughs> Especially when your boss is there. Be like... You see what I'm putting up with, right? Like, can we, can we like find a way as an organization to deal with this? Because this is completely insane. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say though, like, this is what I want out of Worf more often. Yeah. Like unhinged yeah. Worf is a ton of fun. <laughs> yeah. So back on the planet surface... Picard and Anna, the stranded woman, are uh, working on some plans to get free. Like, she comes back from the shuttle with some communications equipment, and he's like, this shit is melted. It looks like it, it's been hit with a phaser. Why, why, would it, why would it be hit with a phaser? And she's like, I used a phaser to cut it free. You think I damaged it when I did that? And he's like, yeah, like, we can't use this now. This is the first indication that Picard may be getting miseried. Like, <laughs> something about this is not adding up. Like, this was her only chance. This is her first best chance to get off the planet. And she did not treat the situation with an amount of care that you would expect. There is nothing to worry about. You're going to be just fine. I'll take good care of you. I'm your number one fan. She is playing for... I am so horrified at what I have done, but it seems weird and it continues to seem weird. And eventually she's like on the floor, kneeling in front of him saying that she loves him and that she doesn't want to ever be alone again. And she like pulls her into him and into her and gives, gives him a big kiss. And he is basically gobsmacked at this news. He's acting like a guy for whom this has happened to a lot, but I still don't get the sense that this has happened to him a lot, you know? He's like, baby, baby, chill out. There's enough of me to go around. Well, yeah, like he's, so he's like really badly injured. He's, I guess, supposed to have some like broken ribs. And so he like, he can't really move around. She can, she's, she's able to run errands for him and feed him and stuff but he has to take her word for a lot of stuff and he's starting to like lose faith in her because he's discovered that she's locking him into the into the botany bay whenever she leaves and there's some things about her story that don't make a ton of sense it's not a good indicator of like it's not a good first step to any relationship when the door locks from the outside right (laughs) <laughs> I would say uh, it's what you call a super bad sign, Adam. <laughs> so Picard has this this hockey puck on him, like on his thorax. And <laughs> and anytime he tries to touch it, it shocks him. And he's been told that, that he's got broken ribs and this thing is, is keeping them together. And it's starting not to... It doesn't look too great around the wound site, like... Looks like uh, it's bruised and puffy. 
Yeah, I liked the writing on that because, like, broken ribs is like, uh, like I don't know if you've ever broken a rib, but it is a really painful, yeah, uh, experience, and and yet it doesn't really track from what happened to him injury wise. Like, yeah, getting lightninged and falling over backwards does not quite seem like a breaking a rib level, you know, kind of impact. So. So it, it kind of like your your mental grammar check kind of catches it when she explains that to him at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. And by the end, when the rest of her story is f- seeming crazy, like you, you feel like, yeah, like this is nuts. And so he like rips the thing off and it turns out this thing was was cultivating the pain in his belly. Yeah, this puck was the sledgehammer for misery (laughs) like she was keeping him injured to keep him there yeah why why adam would a stranded woman have such a hockey puck i don't know maybe that's what the cargo ship was transporting (laughs) we're taking these pain pucks to (laughs) to the yarns They'll pay handsomely for them. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, it hurts so much. Ooh, baby. Seven years on a diet of only roots and a truckload of hockey pucks. It's not a great life. That's a recipe for (laughs) insanity, I think. Yeah, this is like uh, the story of a Canadian and a Japanese soldier stranded on a Pacific island in World War II. Yeah. She freaks out when he rips off the hockey puck. She runs out of the ship and locks the door behind her. And he finds there's like a crowbar in there, which is great. (laughs) And he goes over and he's like trying to open the door and he hears somebody outside and he open he gets the the person outside to open the door and it's Vovel. Every time I drive my Volvo at Beverly Hills, they tow the ship. Vovel appears uninjured. Yeah, the shuttle pilot. He's like, yeah, like, it seems weird. I saw a lady running out of here. She seems pretty uh, verklempt. Do you think she might perhaps jump off of that huge cliff over there? (laughs) And Picard's like, yeah, she could be heading to jump off that huge cliff over there. And Vovel's like, well, we better go get her then, don't you think? Picard's like, yeah, I guess we should. So they run over to the cliff, and this is like unmistakable anybody canyon situation anybody you could call it ben anybody canyon (laughs) (laughs) what you're not seeing is me stare off into the middle distance with like that self-satisfied Riker smile like (laughs) my mind came up with that that's what my mind did that's your mind came up with that to keep you sane yeah (laughs) (laughs) Anna is standing at the edge of the cliff and she's getting ready to jump and Picard like you know does the the like you don't have to do this they're you know your family will be so upset if you do it um I found the shuttle pilot like maybe we can get out of here and then he's like wait a second you know come to think of it I've never seen you and the shuttle pilot in the same room at the same time and also I broke your necklace earlier why are you wearing it again I mean, this nef- I, I didn't want to talk about it too much at first, but this, ne- this necklace was a dead giveaway for me. Like, I noticed it when the guy got out of the shuttle in the shuttle bay in the first scene. 
and I noticed that she had it on her necklace, this like weird brooch. Hmm. And uh, I was just like, yeah, like same same person. Obviously, Vovel is a lot hotter as Anna, but <laughs> other than that, same person. Yeah, that special kind of unhinged hot that is just <laughs> so attractive. Anna is kind of looking past Picard's accusation saying, say you love me, say you love me and let's let's do love. I really want to do love with you. And he he will not relent. And uh, she turns into, she like fades out and fades back in as Vovel. And he's like, I have failed in my mission. <laughs> That's great Vovel voice. Got that Vovel voice. <laughs> You know, you can get a Vovel voice for, like, almost the same price by actually going over to Sweden, and they'll, like, ship it. You know, you get to drive oh, it yeah, around Oh, yeah, you get to tour the, the Volvo voice factory. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a, a better deal than you think it should be. <laughs> it's like a free trip to Europe, free trip to Sweden, and then you come home and you've got a Vovel voice. That sounds great. Yeah. Vovel's like... My whole deal was to make you fall in love with me because this is, this is like, how does he explain this, Ben? He's like, the three of us in this crew of ambassadors were assigned different aspects of human emotion to This study. is a scene that I will describe as deus exposition machina <laughs> yeah where all of the dramatic tension of the episode is released by a character just explaining what has been going on the entire time yeah they like this planet really did have a lady s- stranded on it and a dude really did crash land and they fell in love and like she wrote a diary about this bodice rippery storyline and the erns found her bodice ripper and didn't understand the concepts of pleasure, antagonism, and love. And so the three... Vovel, it turns out, is in fact a a diplomat himself, and they came to the Federation to explore the ideas of pleasure, antagonism, and love, and they, like, divided it up so that one, one got one emotion, one got the other emotion, one got the other emotion... And Vovel was supposed to be love. He was supposed to bang Captain Picard to find out how love is. And uh, this explains why the other two guys were acting the way they were. And Picard is like, okay, well, (laughs) this is definitely a kind of diplomacy, I guess, but not where I come from. (laughs) I love how he describes it as a crime. Like, what you've done is a criminal act to us. (laughs) And Vovel's like, another word that we shall have to uh, explore by doing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The last scene in the episode is is like Picard coming back on board the ship and saying like, well, it was really like interesting to get to know you guys and uh, to learn about how directly you guys take your learning about things. But... um, I'm really glad to be home. The end. Did you like the episode, Adam? Man, that's a great question. I mean, I know <laughs> I know that uh, this is a question we ask each other at the end of every episode. But when I saw the episode, I wasn't sure. After talking about it, I wasn't sure. It's, it's real sceney. 
And it's never serious. And I think that may be what makes the episode fall on the side of of not liking the episode for me. Because I like this I like things to be taken a little more seriously. And I guess every scene with Picard and Anna, like was more comical instead of uh, lethal to me. Like, like what makes misery so terrifying is is how honest both sides are playing their part. The stakes seem extremely high, and for as great as the portrayal is that the actress who plays Anna is doing, like I never felt her danger. And maybe I wanted to get a little more dangerous there, even though, like, Anna is actually Vovel, and at no point was Vovel ever going to actually, like, harm Picard. The viewer doesn't know that. Yeah. So I I think I could have used a little more tension there. I mean, it's fun to see Picard and Anna together, but everything else I thought uh, could be taken or left. So I'm going to say didn't really like it. What about you? I think what I I think what I like about it is that it feels like a season one episode premise, but is executed more skillfully. Like it, it's a season one episode premise with the kind of like character development and and worn in feeling of a season seven, <laughs> where like. Oh yeah, like this show can be like a little bit corny and 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 light, and I don't mind. Like, I don't have any bad feelings about watching a corny and light episode of Star Trek. Like, that's one of the things I like about Star Trek, and I, uh, you know, I don't think that this is a mountain episode, but like the light episodes, I feel like often get looked past as like dumb, but. That like it is it is that like comfortable pair of sweatpants for me like that like I want to I like this episode feels like the costumes that the ERNs are wearing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just, like you could some, really have this on in the background. Yeah, it's just some comfy low stakes trick. Yeah, yeah. I can appreciate that about it. Well, Adam, should we check with our? inbox and see if there's any priority one messages that's a need to discuss it's a comfy low stakes thing to do (laughs) priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental income supplemental income supplemental supplemental yeah it's extra but the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship adam we have a couple of priority one messages here the first one is from ars technica reader and it's to Senior Herker. Goes like this. Glad you like the podcast. Congrats on the promotion. And that is it. Whoa, what? <laughs> you know what? I instinctively flinched when you said Ars Technica Reader because, as many of our viewers might remember, that was our first piece of press. The great Sarus Faravar wrote about us for ours. One of the reasons that I think we we have the popularity that we do is because of that piece and it yeah. immediately turned into like a 20 page comment thread that i <laughs> i think i still have ptsd from so like i was expecting like a stream of profanity and being told that i didn't know what i was doing or what i was talking about and 
and that our that show was garbage. was main, mainly about how our show appeared not to be mission log and therefore shouldn't exist. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that we've gotten over that part of it. Yeah, I think everyone involved has, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, if it wasn't clear by now, we're going to keep going. <laughs> and there's no amount of comments or type of comment that will stop us. Yeah, that's true. Um, Senior Harker, uh, congrats on the promotion. Uh, Ars Technica reader, uh, consider using more of your allotted 350 characters next time. (laughs) Ben, our second priority one message is from Mike. It is for Kristar, quote-unquote, Shrump, Kolgar, and Mock. It goes like this. Congratulations. By sending Cal a Sears gift card, you have renewed your subscription to another year of the exclusive Cardassian of the Month Club. Enjoy the subscription or go to hell. Pleasure viewing this fantastic podcast with y'all. Can't wait for Star Trek Deep Space Nine and for Adam and Ben to feel the burn at Greatest Gen Con 2017. Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> as much as I want to hang out with potentially corrupt politician Bernie Sanders and eat some uh, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, I don't think that Burlington, Vermont will be the site of our upcoming convention. I uh, I might have botched the line read here because uh, the word SPACE is in all caps, which I think is a reference to tin man so it should have been should have been read star trek deep space nine <laughs> which is a fun way to say it that is fun we've got to come up with what what we will be calling this thing when it is not about star trek the next generation anymore i think we add a colon to our name i, I think we keep the greatest generation We've worked. Oh, I'm all about that colon. We gotta, we gotta keep that brand intact, yeah. Ben. But maybe we go the Greatest Generation colon Deep Space Nine. How about just the the Greatest Generation colon colon because it's all about a space butthole. I thought you were gonna go with the Greatest Generation colon and then nothing like like a colon <laughs> with no text that follows. <laughs> that, that sounds like us. <laughs> <laughs> and like I guess I guess like the thing that follows the colon could be the image like the image of the station or the image mm. of the space butthole we'd probably get sued if we used those images but it'd be purely visual yeah we'll have to come up with something Adam that is uh, that is coming down the pike yeah it's unstoppable it will happen because it has already happened Ben <laughs> our thanks to Mike and all Ars Technica readers everywhere uh, for helping to support the show through a purchase of a Priority One message. Uh, personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200 and they are a great way to support the ongoing production of our show. Thanks, guys. Darmok, Angelad, and a good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? 
because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Sometimes I feel bad about picking a drunk Shimoda that is very obvious, mm. but Data slapping Worf on the back at the buffet <laughs> and saying, you're, you're a big asshole. You should love this guy. <laughs> like, it's it's such a drunk Shimoda move. Like, Data is clearly having the most fun in this episode. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, like, that's got to be fun for Brent Spiner to, like, flip through the script and go, like, oh, you mean all of my scenes are just chewing scenery and being hilarious? Like, great. (laughs) His entire role in this episode is to, like, pop in side frame and quip something and then leave. And he's got to be, like, fairly exhausted after having to play two of the main characters in Descent. Yeah. So, uh, So this is, like, this is fun for him, you know? He's, like... He's going to he's going to take his leisure and and have a good time doing it. Yeah. Well chosen. How about yourself? Do you have a drunk Shimoda? It should be data. On a technicality <laughs> it should be data, but I'm going to I'm going to pivot into Counselor Troy who Nice. who had at first the great task of escorting the most fun ambassador and then it turned quickly into that feeling of like even the best house guests eventually you can't wait for to leave. Yeah. And by the very end, when Laquell's getting ready to leave, he's like, oh, that, uh, that no reservations episode that I taped with you was fantastic. Eating all that <laughs> sweet, sweet dessert. Thanks so much. Like, as a token of my thanks, I'm going to give you the sleeve of communion wafers. <laughs> and Troy looks at it and looks at him and is like, oh, yeah. I'm I'm kind of glad this is over. Like and that feeling of relief when when your house guest leaves even when they are a great great guest and you've had super fun hangs is like that's a fun feeling. That's a real feeling and that's something yeah. that Marina Sirtis like projects very realistically here. So I'm going to give that to her. Those crackers look like these type of crackers that my wife buys sometimes for cheese and crackers type of situations that are made out of rice instead of wheat. I love those crackers. I think they're good as a cracker, but I have no interest in putting cheese on them. Oh, yeah? Like, give me one of those, like, toasts that is full of nuts and dried cranberries for cheese. You know what's great about those crackers is that their their tensile strength is amazing. Like... You can really drag that through a, a thick dip, and it's not going to bust up. See, that's so that's a that's an interesting take. We don't we don't fuck around with dip that much. It's usually being used as a cheese delivery mechanism <laughs> in my house, and it just it's too it it's a it's a flavor clash issue. You know, it just seems like two foods from two different cuisines that don't belong together. Well, this this cheese free lifestyle that I live means that. I almost exclusively live a dip lifestyle. <laughs> so that's how I'm rolling. You're, you're living that hashtag dip life? Sure am. I hope our I hope our viewers write in and, and tell us whether they're living that hashtag dip life or that hashtag cheese life. It's the only poll we've ever done, and we're doing it on chips and dips. <laughs> what do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is season seven, episode three. Interface. Jordy defies Picard's commands and risks his life in what appears to be a futile attempt to rescue his missing mother. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I remember this episode answering the question, what kind of parents make Jordy? <laughs> and I'm excited to return to it to see if, if there's any more illumination to that question. Sounds like you're not uh, going to inflict a veto on this. I am darkly interested in watching this episode again under that lens. Okay. 
Uh, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to watch it as well. And uh, I remember Jordy having a really cool Batman suit in this episode. So <laughs> I will also not use my veto. Oh, boy. You know, whenever there's a Batman suit on screen, Ben, I can only mean one thing. <laughs> Middle-aged Batman impressions. Yep. <laughs> Well, having a next episode also means ending this one, and that means saying thanks to a number of the people who help support our show, guys like Adam Ragusea and Dark Materia, who are responsible for the great music you hear throughout. Yeah, and also the legion of viewers who support us financially by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. We just really appreciate everybody uh, who does that. So thank you. Thanks, guys. We should uh, direct people to the greatest gen hashtag on Twitter, where Adam is at Cut for Time and I'm at Benjamin R A H R. We've also got great Facebook group, a Wikia page, a Reddit group, and uh, I think there's even a greatest gen Steam community now. If you're into the Steam video game platform, there's a greatest gen hang available for you. Hmm. I have, uh, I have so far in my life uh, avoided Steam communities because I didn't think they were for me. But uh, maybe this is different. Yeah, it said that we could join. It said it's for greatest gen viewers and also Ben and Adam could join. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Nice of them to leave the door slightly ajar for us. <laughs> maybe we don't want to know what goes on in that Steam room. Mmm. Mmm. Well, with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that really misses its mother and, to a lesser extent, its father. Do you think Troy stuck those communion wafers in her freezer and enjoyed them like Thin Mints? <laughs> I can just see the look on her face as she savors them. Yeah. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.